Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, October the 26th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the latest attack on public education, French Hill's increasingly grimy campaign against Clark Tucker, and Courtney Goodson trying to block attacks against her uh, in courts once again. Okay. I'm joined, as usual, by Max Brantley. So in the latest assault on public education, State Education Commissioner Johnny Key wants to have the power to waive the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act, which affords teachers basic due process rights and employment. Uh, he wants to do that in the Little Rock School District. And, of course, this is all about just trying to destroy the, the Little Rock Teachers Union, which... Pretty much. Uh, the, the state took over the school district four years ago. And they continued to recognize the Little Rock Education Association as the bargaining agent for teachers, a union. Which is pretty much unique in the state. There may be one other uh, district that recognizes an education association group. But it's the biggest by far. I mean, like a thousand teachers, I guess. And But in return, though, I mean, it's worth noting when the state took over the Pulaski County School District... They didn't continue recognition of the teachers' union, which had represented teachers in Pulaski. Uh, The state was willing to negotiate with them. The teachers' union drew a hard line at keeping all the things they'd won during years of negotiation. The state said, no, we're not going to do that. So they were thrown out. Well, the Little Rock Education Association agreed to a lot of givebacks. They agreed to take fewer hours of work, which meant a cut in pay. They made a number of changes in, in what their working conditions were. They accepted a dramatically streamlined contract. And so they've been able to stay on uh, where the others did not because they made a lot of concessions. Well, their contract comes to an end next week, October the 31st. And they had negotiated a new contract uh, between a negotiating team for the district on which Superintendent Michael Poor sat and the union, and then they sent it to Johnny Key, the state education commissioner, October 3rd. Who acts as the school board. He's the school board under state takeover. And he stewed on it a while, and finally, last week, uh, came back to Michael Poor and said, I'm not going to accept this contract. I want two significant changes. One of them is his restoration of language that gave him the power to end the contract any time he felt it was in his best interest to do so, and which is kind of open-ended. Uh, and then secondly, and, and the thing that became a real flashpoint this week, is he wanted the union to agree to a waiver of the so-called state teacher fair dismissal law uh, in schools that are judged D and an F in the school grading system, and that's 22 of the 46 schools they are universally schools that are full of poor minority children, the hardest to educate. And what the long and that means it's so they could fire him at will. He said he needed flexibility, although then when he finally gave limited audience to some in the press, I was not invited and would not have been allowed to attend. I'd have been kept out by security guards had I gone. Uh, said that he didn't want to wield an axe, but instead a scalpel. Well, that's a little hard to believe. But the long and short of this is, is he's sending a message that where schools are not scoring high on standardized tests, it's the teacher's fault. Now, we can look back four years ago, and they fired the Little Rock School Board and blamed them for the state of the district. Johnny Key's a school board for four years. The state supposedly is providing all its assistance to improve the schools. 
and where we had six schools that were failing, we now have 22, and somehow it's the teacher's fault. That seems a little unfair, at least. And, of course, the the backstory on the fair dismissal law is, is it does provide a hearing procedure before people can be fired. I mean, that you know, it's Arkansas is a fired will state. Teachers, some 40 years ago, began winning some legal protection where you couldn't be just fired at will. This kind of protection is necessary because there, there are politics in the operation of schools where, you know, you might get mad at the football coach and fire him just for some unfair reason. Well, so it has some meaning, but it's still possible to fire people. And, and both Johnny Key and Michael Poor were asking the last week, so who were you unable to fire that you couldn't because this law got in the way? And Johnny Key fumbled around. Michael Poor didn't come up with anybody for me. And, and Johnny Key fumbled around in his news conference and said, well, there might have been a pre-K teacher that we got held up on. All that teacher was eventually fired. The truth is, is that... <clears throat> People who are unsuitable as teachers generally can be discouraged out of the profession by a good administrator who tells them you're not getting the job done. And there are good principals who manage to pair bad teachers off their payroll when they when they don't improve. You know, there is a in the fair dismissal process. One thing you try and do is you try and salvage people. It's, we're not broken out with teachers. We don't have an overabundance of them. No, I mean, it's really just the the normal steps. Anyone who's worked and and really any kind of job, especially a corporate job, you know, you have to work with the person, you have to document their failings, and they have uh, ability to challenge the firing to some and, and higher body. And when they do go, there's an exit interview and there's a record kept of it. And, you know, the, the fact is the authoritarian, and, and that seems to be most school administrators, don't want to mess with that. Well, I think not just school administrators. I, I think I've been a boss, and it would be nice if when somebody hacks you off, you just say, go, leave this place. And in fact, in Arkansas, that's pretty much the law, although you can't fire people for the wrong, if, on reasons of gender or age or race and that sort of thing. So anyway, in a way, it's it's kind of... I think Johnny Key and then Michael Poor in his interview with me more or less admitted this really was more a political kind of thing. Both of them said, without naming names, well, we've been under a lot of pressure to do something about the union. What what they meant to say is, is the people who call the shots in Arkansas, and I begin with the Waltons who operate their own private business this way, they hate unions. They just hate them. They, I mean, they hate them with every fiber of their being. Walter Husband, who's a leader in the school choice movement, the first thing he did when he bought the Arkansas Democrat Gazette was fire the printer's union. They hate them. And, and they, they hold unions responsible for all that's wrong in America today. So they want to get rid of them. So there's, there's that. <clears throat> and also they're, they're a handy whipping boy. They're a handy excuse for, for something that's a systemic and endemic failure. I mean, the, the, the school that has a 100% poor black population that is scoring well on on standardized tests is the outlier. And if you find a school like that, what you want to do is try and emulate them to whatever degree you can because it's just unusual. That's the sad fact of American education, not just in Little Rock, but all across the country. <clears throat> but it's convenient to blame it on the teachers uh, when the state is failing. If, if, if these school scores be a measure of a failing school, which is something I happen to take exception to, I, I think those scores measure the students 
and what's been delivered to those schools a whole lot more than they measure the school or the teachers who teach in them. So anyway, I mean, that's, that's where we are. But yes, I think the teachers are going to negotiate further with Michael Poor. There's still a chance by Wednesday of next week they'll come up with a new contract agreement that Johnny Key will approve, although they've said that the fair dismissal laws is the line they don't want to cross. I mean, it's just fundamentally unfair to say teachers at 22 schools don't get this protection, but at the other ones often delivered much easier to teach students than, the than those in those 22 schools that they're treated differently. And furthermore, there are dozens of schools statewide that are DNF, but they're not in Category 5 of the School Improvement Program and state takeover, in other words. And so it doesn't apply to them either. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's constitutionally legal to treat one group of teachers unequally. Perhaps you can do it, but it just seems fundamentally unfair to me. Well, yeah, I mean, already there's, because those kids, you know, who who are struggling and behind and have learning disabilities are harder to teach, there's a challenge of filling those schools with, with teachers who want to be there. It's going to be hard. Right? So so it's, then you're going to say, yeah, come, come do this really hard job and don't enjoy the protections that every other public yeah, education. Don't, don't expect any job protection for it. Yeah, it's, it seems crazy to me. I do think that it's fair to wonder if this is an opening step in getting rid of fair dismissal laws entirely. <clears throat> uh, and, you know, I, I think certainly there are plenty of people in the controlling power structure now that would like to do that. Uh, because uh, all of the, the really rich people that you mentioned earlier uh, also, of course, are, are big backers of charter schools. And in the state, you looked it up earlier this week, but 90-some percent of charter schools 90, waive the teacher fair dismissal. 96% of charter schools waive the, the grievance procedure, the, the fair dismissal law, the work rules. That's the first the first thing they take away. The first waivers they want in charter schools are waiver from employment laws. They want to be able to do whatever they In fact, there's a, there's a woman who taught briefly at a, at a fine arts charter school and I, who's sent me some stuff before, and she's written a pretty good blog post about, and she, she, I mean, she had a bad experience at her charter school, but it, and it, it had to do with the fact that they'd been waived all the laws about assigned duties in class time, and they worked these incredibly long hours, and, you know, she just finally couldn't, st even for the small amount of money she got, couldn't stand anymore, but she kind of gave a pretty good picture of what it's like to work in a school where you don't have these protections and how you're just kind of at the mercy for your paycheck against people that can demand all sorts of things from their workers, you know, extra duty on weekends or whenever and, and not much in return. And it's, I mean, it's a pretty good window on what, what you face at those places. Of course, the people that favor charter schools kind of have this view that veteran teachers are overrated, that basically what you want to do is get some people and just grind them up for five years, work them to the bone, and then burn them up and move them out and bring in a new group of young people. But they don't really need to be trained as teachers or certified. They just need to make these students excited, learn, learn their ABCs and then move on. So you mentioned that, that this could be a, a precursor to doing away with fair dismissal all over the state. The legislature meets uh, early next year. Do you think that it's likely? Uh, so the Little Rock School District is slated to come out of local control or come back to local control in 2020. Uh, do you think it's likely that we're going to see another 
move to uh, allow a charter operating oh, I group think, to come yes, in? Yes, I, I think all kinds of things are possible. I expect an effort to expand the cap on charter schools statewide. I expect an effort to expand the so-called Opportunity Scholarship Program, which is really a voucher program in disguise. Given that the Little Rock School District has already been debilitated by the expansion of charter schools and there are more applications on the table, I expect to come back to this this, uh, Opportunity School District thing where if there are enough enough school districts in... uh, There are enough schools. There are enough schools in trouble that you can take over the whole school district and put it up for private operation as they've done in New Orleans and Memphis. You know, there's a, <clears throat> there, there are just all, all kinds of things that can happen. And furthermore, I think that under law, they're going to have to let Little Rock have an election next year, I think, but at some point. The other thing we need to look for there is how they redraw the school zones, if they do, and uh, if the Waltons come in and spend a ton of money as they're spending around the country to influence the elections of school district and state authorities, that they've spent in the last year, I think Alice Walton has spent $17 million personally on elections that affect school leadership around the country in Boston and California. And, you know, you can buy people cheap in Arkansas. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been talking to a lot of parents about this issue who have not been as deeply engaged as, um, you know, we are, I guess. But uh, their question is always, why? Why do they care about this? It's an article of faith, I think, for them at this point. For, for the rich people who yes. want to make the... Because, I, and I mean, as I've said before, I mean, although I'm a, a pitched foe of what they're about and I have a different view of what's good in American education, and it is the egalitarian traditional public school, the great leveler in our society, I do give them credit for faith, yes. I, it's, it's almost a religion, and I think they believe it. I, I think they believe that their way is better, and, and I, I think they mean well for children. I, I think they want children to succeed, and they think their way is better. I just, I just happen to disagree with them, and I, I don't think the results prove that they're right, and I think a great deal of harm is done in the process, one of which is is encouraging a lack of diversity in schools, whether racial or economic. And if we know anything from the studies, we know that diversity breeds more success in schools than lack of diversity does. Okay, well, let's leave it there and move on. Uh, Democrat Clark Tucker has issued ads asking Republican Rep. French Hill about his lack of decency. This is this follows just some really slimy ads. Yeah. You know, and it was, I mean, Clark finally got tough, which I think a lot of people thought was overdue. <coughs> Excuse me. But, and one of them particularly was is linking Clark Tucker by, I mean, they claim he went to an anti-ice rally, which it was not that. I mean, it was a, a rally to show support for immigrants in our community and somebody asked him a question about something. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. And they've turned this into an ad that Clark somehow supports the MS-13 Salvadoran gang, which is, you know, it's just, it's the kind of thing I was talking to my wife about this. I said, I really think if I were an honest, unengaged person, I would still look at that ad and say, really? I mean, is this serious? 
or is this a joke or what? And that's kind of the tone Clark struck in his eye. He says, really? Which is kind of Clark. I mean, he's not combative. He's a conciliator, a compromiser. A guy tries to get along. And so so there's that. But he finally hit back and said, you know, French Hill has no decency. Well, then it, then it got worse. He started running an ad on TV last night that says that they elect Clark Tucker liberal mobs are going to take over Washington and bring chaos to America. And I, some woman, which is kind of typical, I know a lot of people who work for Clark Tucker from his... 92-year-old grandmother on down, and she put a, yes, yeah, said all us old ladies and cardigans are going to come after you, she put on Twitter today, which I thought was kind of funny. <coughs> but this is silly. And what I think it's, and, and the outside money has begun pouring into French Hill's race and some other outside sources raising all kinds of similar questions against them, this really kind of Trumpian campaign tactics. And there's a rumor going around that French Hill has some polling of his own that shows the race is very close. I mean, there's been one poll done in the market here that shows him increasing his lead to an unsurmountable amount. You know, I don't know. I mean, may, I mean, it's a legitimate poll, and as far as I know, and I don't really have any reason to question its it or its methodology. But there are other people say there are other. Po- I mean, I do know this: the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has come in and spent money on Tucker. And they're nothing if not clear-eyed pragmatists. They don't spend money just to be good guys. They spend money because they've got data that suggests the race is within reach. And so I think maybe this maybe this race, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being crazily, wishfully hopeful that this race is closer than what the conventional wisdom is. It depends, finally, uh, on this question, and that is, is there a reachable swing voter in the suburban counties who has been put off by the Trump approach to politics, which French Hill has pretty slavishly gotten behind. I mean, that's not the kind of person he was, but effectively that's the kind of politician he's become. And so is there enough in there to close the gap a little bit in White County and Faulkner County and Saline County? And, you know, based on experience, uh, I tend to be skeptical. I have to. I have to admit, but maybe there's a surprise waiting. I don't know. No, I mean, I I worry that that uh, Hill's embrace of the the Trumpian model only just helps him. It helps it's gonna, him. Right. It's going to broaden. Right. His... Right. I, I, I. That's that's my fear. I mean, Arkansas's record is that is that we kind of like Trump more, more so even than any other state almost. Speaking of advertising, Supreme Court Justice Courtney Goodson has again sued to stop an onslaught of attack advertising by a shadowy group out of D.C. Yeah, the Republican State Leadership Committee, it's called, and they get very mad when I call them dark money because they say, well, we file reports with the IRS quarterly that shows our contributors, which is if you've got a lot of savvy and know how to paw through the records because it's a layered kind of thing, yeah, you can find quarterly where their money comes from. In Arkansas, they don't report where the money comes from. And this guy said, well, if you've got computer access, I said, yeah, we've got the lowest computer access. The fact is, is people see these ads on television, they have no idea where they're coming from. They're coming from the United States Chamber of Commerce and tobacco companies and and sources like that. But in any event, they're dredging up old stuff that was run two years ago. Courtney Goodson married a guy who was a very well-off trial lawyer. He gave her a lot of gifts before they got married, and they got gifts from friends who are trial lawyers, and 
So they're making something out of it. She's filed a lawsuit saying these ads are defamatory because they don't provide all the information. For example, they say she's influenced by trial lawyers, but they don't say that she recuses from cases involving these lawyers. Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic because I think the group is slimy and I think the ads are slimy. But I think they're accurate enough for TV and and not defamatory, and it would be contrary to the First Amendment to take them off TV because of their content. I mean, listen, I write newspaper columns that leave out mitigating circumstances for politicians I I don't like because I prefer to emphasize the negative, not the positive. I mean, and if that suddenly became the standard that you had to give the full brief on both sides in a political column, there wouldn't be any. So... I'm not sure. Maybe she believes this. This lawsuit is meritorious. I I think mostly it's a way to get some some attention to the the strategy being used against her. And so there's that. Of course, as I remarked this morning on the blog, I mean, does anybody read newspapers anymore? I mean, a few. But that's the only place you're going to get any news about the lawsuits to speak of. So anyway, I don't know. I... I mean, the, the the most interesting thing I've seen, I think, was a quote from Janine Perry at the University of Arkansas who says this kind of advertising is particularly effective in nonpartisan races because in a partisan race, that's an easy label, R-D. But here, negative advertising can really have an effect because people, as the one poll I think I've seen in this race showed a huge undecided. And so when you finally go to vote, maybe you make the decision based on that attack advertising. It's kind of ironic that would be the case in this race because David Sterling, who Courtney Goodson is running against, is doing everything he possibly can to identify himself as a Republican for a seat that's nominally nonpartisan. Right. No, it was interesting, though, that that Goodson did better than he did in the general election, though. Not markedly, but... Yeah, but slightly, slightly. And, and you know, I think... This is the year of the woman, they say. Uh, and so I, th- I think on bal- balance, I'd rather be a woman in this race than a man. And uh, she also gets to run with justice by her name. And right. that's, that's always been considered a real advantage in Arkansas politics. So who knows? Yeah. Or, or we could throw out the bombs. It could be one of those. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, well, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you got well, this I've, week? Well, I've got a good TV endorsement this week. I've started watching on uh, Netflix something called The Bodyguard. I don't know if you've heard about this. It was like the biggest hit show on British TV ever. It's a guy who comes back from Afghanistan, kind of a troubled war veteran, becomes a police officer, and then gets a job as bodyguard for the home secretary who he has a real animus toward because she sent him to war and didn't care about the consequences. And so that's working, but then there's sex and violence. And I heard Theresa May does not approve. She watched half the first episode, then turned off. Well, that's a recommendation as far. Well, it's. I mean, it's pretty scary stuff. Anyway, I watched. I love. I. It's great. I think it's good stuff. Okay, check it out. Uh, I will make a book recommendation. Uh, I read a book that came out. I don't know, four or five years ago, called "A Little Life" by Hanya Yanagihara, who uh, is the editor of T Magazine, uh, the New York Times style magazine. Does not at all about any of those things it's a, a kind of buildings roman about uh one character in particular but really four friends who meet at college and then 
uh, continue to be friends through many decades. And it, it's a really good book, and I, I think it'll stick with me for a long time, but it also is just devastating. So if you are looking for something that will only supply you with um, escapist fun, I would not at all recommend this. But if you can handle, you know, some just really heart-wrenching stuff and, and, and just some of the worst uh, depictions of abuse that you of all kinds that you find. Well, that's, uh, no thanks. Yeah, but <laughs> ultimately, despite that, I mean, it's, it was very rewarding. Uh, so did you watch uh, episode two of the Romanoffs? No, not yet. Okay. I still think it's tedious. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, with uh, where the, the the boat cruise? Went on the cruise ship. Yeah. I did. I liked it all right. Yeah, I mean, it'd be better if it was 45 minutes instead yeah, that, of an hour and a half. Actually, that is what I said. I said this needs to be. It needs to be edited. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, an hour and a half is too long. It'd been a good 45-minute show. Agreed. Okay, thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. See you next time. All right.